you're listening to a City on a Hill podcast. We'd love you to use and share this podcast, but please refrain from editing the content without permission from City on a Hill. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au. Let's pray. Father God, we come into your presence this morning and we pray that now as we bow our hearts uh, before your word, as we look upwards to you, Lord, we pray that maybe like Stephen long ago, we would see Christ seated at the right hand of God, enthroned in glory. And we pray, Lord, that, that as our eyes would fix and focus on Jesus, that you would strengthen us, but you would also lift our vision to the bigger movement of which we are a part to the glorious kingdom of your Son, the Lord Jesus, for his church, which the gates of hell will not stand against. And so this morning, as we gather beneath your word, we pray, Lord, that it would be alive. I pray, Lord, that you would use my words to strengthen us, and we ask all of these things, confident in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. Well, in 2003... I had the opportunity to secretly travel as part of a mission team to Myanmar, which is also what used to be known as Burma. Myanmar, um, then as now, is under a brutal uh, dictatorship, a military dictatorship. Many thousands of people have been murdered in Myanmar, including thousands of Christians. And I traveled as part of a team the mission team, um, which was presenting a very simple drama which tried to tell the story of the gospel without words. It was a simple drama. And um, when we arrived in Burma and we got through customs, we all made it safely through customs, we traveled out into the surrounding area and began to present this drama. And to my shock, because given our acting skills, I had some, some, some doubts, but to my shock, the result was overwhelming. The impact was overwhelming. And day by day, night by night, as we would share this drama, it was incredible to watch the faces of the people, many of whom had never heard the good news about Jesus ever. Not like us, we're, we're, it, we, we're often exposed to the message of Jesus for many decades sometimes. Here, this was the first opportunity they'd ever had. And, and as we presented in the drama, the, the beauty of God's creation and then, then sin, like that snake that we saw in the video, the, sin coming into the world. And you could see people's faces sometimes begin to tear up. As, as this, and then when Jesus came, you, you could see that the hope start to lift and then, then he was crucified in this drama and, and some people would weep. And then as we portrayed his resurrection from the dead, sometimes people's weeping would turn to tears of joy. It was, it was an incredible thing. God was moving powerfully. At the end of this uh, drama presentation, then uh, one of us on the team would, would give a short, very simple gospel Message. It was actually, I think, the first time I ever, ever preached was in those, those times. And at the end of it, we would invite these simple, impoverished people in these rural villages to come forward and to receive the Lord Jesus Christ. And people came forward every time. Lots of people came forward. And then they would be discipled by those tiny little local 
churches who would gather around them with joy. It was the most extraordinary experience to see God at work in his church doing amazing things. It was just a wonderful privilege to be part of it. Until near the end, in the middle of our performance, armed Burmese soldiers came in and stood at the back of the hall and they had their arms crossed like this. And I knew that what we were doing was illegal. We could not proclaim the gospel of Jesus, and we were. And I knew my, my, my job, my day job at that time was as an intelligence officer. I knew exactly what the Burmese military was capable of doing. And the fear rose up in my throat, and I could feel the sweat uh, break out on my skin. And I, I said to one of the local believers who was, who was near me, we paused the drama, in the, and I said, what do we do? Do we stop? And he said to me, no, we keep going. The worst thing that will happen to you, you're foreigners. The worst thing that will happen to you, you'll, you'll get in prison for a few weeks maybe, and then you'll be deported. Keep going. And I said, well, what about you? And he said, we may live or we may die, but are we not at all in the Lord's hands? Keep going. In 2003, I had a snapshot into the reality but 340 million people in the world today. 340 million people, Christians, experience persecution like this for their faith right now. 340 million of them, and somewhere between 8,000 and 100,000, it varies from year to year, somewhere around 8 and 100,000 of these persecuted Christians this year will lose their life. Because they have chosen to follow Jesus. No other reasons. And many tens of thousands more than that will suffer imprisonment, discrimination, rape. This is the reality. And today, um, as you heard in our, in our service, we have Zeke here with us. And we are lifting our eyes up to the global persecuted church. Uh, Zeke is part of Open Doors. He's, he's going to share more about the work of Open Doors uh, when I conclude in a few moments, well, more than a few moments' time, but I conclude. Um, Open Doors is a fantastic organization. It's been around for over 65 years now, helping people follow Jesus around the world, no matter what the cost. Today, they partner with churches in, in over 70 countries to help strengthen the persecuted church. And today, um, as we as a church at City on a Hill Geelong, as we focus on the persecuted church together, what we will do as we look now at the Scriptures, I pray and hope will stir our own faith, will broaden our horizon and fill us again with what it is to follow Jesus. So this morning or today, we're going to look at four different things around persecution. We're going to ask four questions. Firstly, we're going to ask, what is Christian persecution? Then we're going to ask, what does the Bible say about Christian persecution? 
Then we'll look thirdly at what persecution does to the church. And then finally, we're going to ask the question, how should we respond to Christian persecution? Those those four questions. And to do that, as I said, we're going to go to Matthew 5. Uh, Matthew 5, Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount. And uh, if you might remember, we went through parts of that earlier this year as a church. And we're going to zoom, or focus in rather, now on the end of Jesus' teaching on the Beatitudes. Jesus has just finished teaching saying, blessed are the, the poor in spirit. He said, blessed are the peacemakers. He, he's been talking to, the ch- to these Christians about what it looks like to be a Christian. And how being a Christian is radically different. And he's, he's listed these ways for us. And now, in this last beatitude, he says, and this is what will happen to you when you live like this for me. Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you, And utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. So now our four questions. Firstly, what is Christian persecution. Very simply, Christian persecution is being treated unfairly because you are a Christian. That's at its most simplest. Now, this can range from the sneering comments as you walk in into school. It can be the jokes that people make about you because you are a Christian. It can range from that to the fact that you will be imprisoned and discriminated and murdered for your faith in Jesus. This is what Christian persecution is. And it's important to note that Jesus is talking specifically here in Matthew 5 of Christian persecution. We live in a world that is broken in many ways, and there is many kinds of persecution that happens in our world. For example, many millions, I think, of Muslim people around the world are persecuted for their faith in places like Iran, um, and not Iran, (laughs) it's in India, China, um, Burma, actually. Many millions of Muslims are persecuted for their faith. Other people are persecuted because of their race, because perhaps of their sexuality, even because of their gender. People are persecuted because of their political beliefs. All of that is genuine persecution that happens in a broken and hurting world. It's real and it's horrible, but it's not Christian persecution. This is not what Jesus is talking about here. To deal with the issue, which I know is at the forefront of many of our minds, vaccine mandates, for example. There are some within our community of the church who are suffering really and deeply right now because of vaccine mandates. They are are being excluded, um, they're being marginalised, they're often being mocked for their beliefs and their views. That is real and genuine persecution, but it's not Christian persecution. 
Christian persecution, Jesus says, it's because um, it's about him. In that reading, it says, on my account. Uh, When you are persecuted because of Jesus, when you are persecuted because your life that you're living in relationship with him is so so different to the world in which you live that you represent Jesus. And because you represent Jesus, then you are excluded and marginalized and reviled and hated. It's a, a specific Christian persecution. Vaccine mandates is genuine persecution, but it is not, in most counts, specifically Christian persecution. And so, well, Andrew, how do you know that? And the reason I know that is because most people who are, are suffering from vaccine mandates are not Christian at all. It's a different thing. Uh, The great preacher, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, 60 years ago preached a sermon series on the Beatitudes, which is just a wonderful, wonderful sermon series. And, And he said this about persecution 60 years ago, could have been written for us this morning or today. This is what he said. If you and I begin to mix our religion and our politics then we must not be surprised if we receive persecution. But I suggest that it will not of necessity be persecution for righteousness sake. This is something very distinct and particular. And one of the greatest dangers confronting us is that of not discriminating between these two things. I'm not saying that a man should not stand up for his political principles. I am simply reminding you that the promise attached to this beatitude does not apply to that. If you choose to suffer politically, go on and do so. But do not have a grudge against God if you find that this beatitude, this promise, is not verified in your life. The beatitude and the promise refer specifically to suffering for righteousness' sake. May God give us grace and wisdom and understanding to discriminate between our political prejudices and our spiritual principles. 60 years ago, but it could be written today. Blessed are those who are persecuted on my account, Jesus says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This alone is what Christian persecution is. Persecution that occurs for the sake and because of the name of Jesus. So secondly, what does the Bible say about Christian persecution? The Bible has a lot to say about Christian persecution, and the Bible makes a promise in regards to Christian persecution, and it's this. The promise is that every one of us who desires to live authentically a life that for Jesus is sold out for Jesus, Put Jesus above every other thing will experience persecution. Uh, John said this, uh, Jesus said this in John chapter 15. Listen to these words. He says, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me before it hated you. If you are of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. Did you hear those words? Did they persecute Jesus? 
well, then they'll persecute us too. That's a promise of Jesus. I, I get frustrated sometimes with, there's an element within the church and it, it's in the church planting world, it's in the church growth part of the world, which says that if only Christians could be more like Jesus, then everybody would love us. And that everybody would become a Christian because we were so like Jesus. And there's a truth to that. Jesus said, they'll see your deeds and they'll give glory to your Father in heaven. But that's only one side of the, this coin, isn't it? Martin Lloyd-Jones said this, the effect of Jesus Christ upon his contemporaries was that many threw stones at him. They hated him. And finally, choosing a murderer instead of him, they put him to death. This is the effect Jesus Christ always has upon the world. Not that everyone suddenly becomes Christians, but that Christians become radically different and because they are radically different, they shine a light into the lives of a world and it exposes the darkness and the result in many peoples is resentment and hatred. Jesus made that promise. And so, so when Paul speaks about persecutions that he experienced, and you can read of those in detail where he says, this is what I experienced for following Jesus. And then he says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. In 2, 2 Timothy 3, he's not using hyperbole. This is not an exaggeration to get our attention. This is the truth. If we desire to live a godly life for Christ Jesus, we will be persecuted. The Bible promises it. If you live like Christ, you will suffer like Christ. And if you think of, a, of another situation, which was my previous employment history and, and some of us here as well, it, it makes sense. So, so in my years in the army, if you are in the field on an exercise or on a deployment, on an operation against the enemy, you don't salute an officer, ever, never. If you salute an officer, if you don't salute an officer, you're not saying, Oh, I don't respect you, so I'm not going to salute you. You're actually saying the exactly opposite. If you salute an officer in the field, not only are you saying, I don't like you, you're saying, I want you to get a bullet in the head. Because the way it works is the enemy snipers will target those officers and senior non-commissioned officers who are in control, who are making a difference, who are, who are leading and moving. You don't target the everyday soldier you target them because if you target them, you have a disproportionate effect. And so if you salute an officer in the field, you're saying to the sniper, there he is, shoot him. Now, in a similar way, we have an enemy who is real and vicious, who desires to, 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 to crush the church, to reduce um, the, 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 the influence of the gospel, to see people not be converted and go to hell for all of eternity. And so what does he do? Well, he says of the person who's fast asleep in the pews... Well, let them keep sleeping. They're not, they're not, they just look like everybody else. They're making no difference. They're not really salt and light. Leave them alone. Maybe even give them a good life. Don't bring sufferings and hardships and persecution. Just let them go as they are. They're not doing any damage. Leave them alone. Let sleeping dogs lie. But you wake up 
and the Holy Spirit starts to stir in your heart and you have a holy discontent for the world around and you see the reality, the eternal reality that some are coming to faith in Christ and many are not and it's an eternal reality where hell is the end result for those who don't accept the saving grace of Jesus Christ and you come alive to that and your heart starts to break for that and you long to see it change and you step up and you step out and you start making a difference for Jesus Christ wherever he's put you, things change right? You suddenly become an officer in the field. You're someone who's moving and shaking for the sake and the glory of God. And let me tell you, you get shot at in an entirely different way than you did before. Anyone who steps up into Christian leadership knows this. And we should expect it. Jesus promises it. The Bible says it will happen. In fact, it says, if it doesn't happen to you, you should be asking some questions. In Luke's account of the Beatitudes, Luke says, see, woe to you, he says, Jesus says, woe to you when people say all sorts of good things about you and they praise you, woe to you, because that's what they did to the false prophets who were before you. So if you and I never experience persecution for being a Christian, rather we should be asking, what's going on? Why are we not? Is it because we're just like everybody else? The Bible promises that we will get persecution, which is why Open Doors can say this remarkable statement, really, when you think about it. They say this, we don't exist to end persecution. What? You you, you don't exist to end persecution? These people that are suffering and bleeding, and you don't exist to to stop that? Well, how can you say that? They say we don't exist to end persecution or even try to stop it from growing. We believe that persecution is a consequence of successful Christianity and that wherever the gospel is being shared, persecution will be present. Those are good words. They're right. Persecution, Christian persecution is something that is promised to the church by the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, thirdly, what does persecution do? Uh, I often hear, I hear uh, it's said that, that persecution, the blood of the martyrs is the seed of the church, as it was said long ago, and it's true. And, you know, sometimes I hear, if only we got more persecution, it would be good for us as a church in the West. And in part, that's true. But persecution in and of itself does not automatically result in positive impact for the church. My example I would give, I think persecution is like the hot summer sun on a garden plant, if you like gardening. Over winter, a garden plant will do very little, usually. But then when the sun starts to shine, things happen, yeah? But it's not always the same. The the shallow-rooted plant gets the hot summer sun in December or January here in Australia, and what does it happen? What happens to it? It's got shallow roots, and it withers and it dies. The sun shines upon it, and it causes it to shrivel. But if that plant's got deep roots, and if that plant is in solid, well-watered soil, when the sun shines and beats down upon it, the soil warms and the plant grows. Persecution is like that with the church. It sifts. It winnows, it it divides. 
When persecution happens in the church, some people walk away. They always have in the history of the church. Some people go, this is too hard. Jesus has called us is is beyond what we're capable of doing. We are turning away. We're going back to Egypt. We're we're done with this. The cost is too big. But others, those whose roots are deep, persecution is like the sun. It causes growth and it causes fruit. Listen to what Paul says in 2 Corinthians verse 7. He says, but we... We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God, not to us. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. For we who live are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you see what he's saying? He's saying we've got this treasure in jars of clay and when we're persecuted and beaten and pressed down, then that causes a surpassing greatness of the gospel to be manifest. And everyone who sees it goes, don't look at them, look at the God who working in them. That's what persecution does. Persecution that does that says to the world, how these people are responding can only be a supernatural miracle because they're different. There's a power in them. Which is why if you read the accounts of the, of the church, the early church, you see that even as Christians were murdered and persecuted for three or four hundred years, three hundred years at least, time and again, their torturers, their imprisoners, their persecutors see the way they die and come to faith in Jesus Christ. You see it over and over again. Because that kind of trust in Jesus reveals that the treasure in the jar of clay is worth having. And there are accounts actually in the history of the church of torturers after having murdering the Christian going, you know what, I'm going to become a Christian. I just killed this person, now I'm becoming a Christian. And they go, well, you just know what happens if you do. Yeah, exactly, do it. Many accounts of the early church are exactly that happening. It's amazing. And Matthew, in Matthew 5, Jesus says, When they do that to you, it's a confirmation of your identity. He says, that's the way they treated the true prophets who came before you. And then he says, not only is it telling your identity, it's telling your destination. Whenever there's persecution in in, in an individual's life or in a church's life, it says this is your identity. It's a sign that you have your passport, that you don't really belong here. That you're going towards an eternal home. And persecution is is an outward representation of of who you are. You are Jesus Christ. Therefore, you're being persecuted, and it's a reminder that you are going home. That's why Jesus says, when it happens to you, rejoice and be exceedingly glad. For great is your reward in heaven. He's saying rejoice and be exceedingly glad because your persecution, and when it happens to a church or an individual, it's saying you are Jesus Christ and therefore you are going to be with him in glory. This is a light and momentary trouble that will pass like the mist in the morning. 
And let me tell you, brothers and sisters, if you have been persecuted for Jesus' sake, and for most of us, not all of us, but for most of us, it will be that kind of sneering laughter at the moment. It'll be, it'll be the jokes. It'll be the kind of exclusion, perhaps. If you've experienced that, you will also know, as I have, the incredible joy that comes with it. The joy that you know that God's favor rests on you. And you know that when you are persecuted for his account, not because you're an idiot or you're selfish or you're lazy or any of the other things, but because of Jesus Christ, you know his favor and his blessing rests on you and you can feel that and know that when you experience it. That's what persecution does to the church. And finally, finally, how should we respond to persecution? Well, the Bible, Jesus tells us again, we should pray for our persecutors. No, we're not, with, we're not with violence and terrorism, but we should pray for our persecutors. We should pray for those who injure us. We should be like Christ, who was, though he was reviled and persecuted falsely and all sorts of evil things about him, didn't speak back. He was like a lamb going to the slaughter. That's, that's how Christians respond. That's how we should respond, but more than that, how do we respond to the persecuted church? I'm not thinking so much of our context now, I'm thinking of the global persecuted church. And let's be honest, we in Australia have very little understanding of genuine persecution, of that. We're on the spectrum, every, every Christian's on the spectrum of persecution, we're over here, there are many who are way, way over there. So how do we respond to them. Well, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 12, 26, if one part of the body suffers, every part suffers with it. So if millions and millions of Christians are hurting around the world, are being imprisoned and raped and discriminated against, and they are part of the body of Christ, well then we all hurt. We all hurt. We, we are one with them in Christ Jesus. Even though racially we are different and ethnically and, and um, socioeconomically we're different and culturally we're radically different, in Christ Jesus all of that is insignificant. We are one. And when any part of the body hurts, we all hurt. So, what do we do with the persecuted church? We do what we would do if one of our own body here in Geelong was hurting. We practically care for them. We, we want to care for them materially. We want to care for them by bringing their needs before our Father in heaven, by, by praying for them, by praying that God would strengthen them. We, we identify with them because when one part hurts, we all hurt. So we all hurt together. But this is the other side of it. It's not all about us giving to them. In fact, in many ways, it's the other way around. We often come and we think, well, these poor Christians are suffering, we should help them, and we should. But what we miss is, is that because we are one body, we receive something that is incredible from our persecuted brothers and sisters. We receive that surpassing power that's being released in them speaks into our life, doesn't it? I, I said to you when I was in Myanmar, in Burma, and the soldiers came in, and I saw the response of those local persecuted suffering Christians, and I saw the way that they handled it, and you know what? 
Did, did I kind of feel like I am such a sophisticated, enlightened Western, I've got, I've got degrees and I've got a good job and, I've da, 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 and I'm so much better than you? Oh boy, I saw that from that simple man who said those words and I went, I need to fall at your feet and I need to learn from you because you've got something that I don't. You have a purity and a power in your faith which persecution has honed and refined and it's strong and it's deep and it's real and I don't have that. And I need it. And I want it. And so, brothers and sisters, when we partner with the persecuted church, when we do something like we're doing today, we're saying, we're with you, brothers and sisters, and we need some of what you've got. We need the courage to stand up. We, we need the, the faith to be different, to stand unashamed for Jesus, whether it's in our school or our workplace or in our, our culture, to be different, even though it means that we are persecuted just like they do every day. We need them. Now, in, in that occasion in Myanmar, the soldiers, at the, they actually, some of them, they watched the end of the performance. It was awkward. And then at the end, they questioned us. They released us. And as far as we know, they, they took no further action right there and then against the villagers. Everyone was let go. That's not always the case. And they knew it in that moment. There's something that you and I need. We need their stories of faith. We need these real testimonies to strengthen our own backbones and to prepare us in the West. If it is true that in the West we are likely to experience increased persecution, I think it is. We need to learn from those who have gone ahead of us on the road from those who are masters and we are just the apprentices. Women, for example, like Mariam and Maziah. I'm sure I pronounced that wrong. But two Iranian women who, um, for no other reason, last years were persecuted for their faith in Jesus. They were imprisoned in Iran simply for becoming Christians and for speaking to others about Jesus. Nothing else. For his name's sake only. Not because they were lazy or they incited violence or any of these other things, because they trusted in Jesus. That was it. These two women were imprisoned and eventually, after a considerable amount of time, they came to trial. And the potential sentence for their crime was what? In Iran. Death. Two young women on trial for their lives. This is what they said to the judge, judges. We're not two children who needs someone else to say what we think on our behalf. Jesus said, I give you the Holy Spirit and you don't need anything else. It's finished. We don't believe in Christ that the way that other religions do. Jesus is the beginning and the end. He's everything. Any view that diminishes his perfect completeness is a false view. Jesus is the one and only true saviour of the world. Nothing you can do will make us deny that truth or water it down. Wow! Two young women, face to face with all the authority and the, and the power of the Ayatollahs, the, the Iranian system that can put them to death and is prepared to do it, they come back at them like that. They're not children. 
We've got the Holy Spirit, and nothing you say or do will make us water it down. Wow, we need that. I wonder, would, would you have spoken like that, or would I have spoken like that? It's a good question to ask, isn't it? I honestly don't know the answer to it. But I do know that seeing their example, that hearing their stories, it points me to what I need and what really you and I both need. A strong, rooted conviction in Jesus Christ that is, it wakes up from the materialism and from the, the comfortable sleep that we so often fall into in our country. That's why we partner with the persecuted church. That's why we have open doors with us here today, because as a church, we want to grow. And we want to believe and accept this. And, and we don't just want to talk about it and go like, oh, yes, we, we really believe in helping the persecuted church. We want to actually practically help. And uh, you may know that this year we have already um, given $15,715 to help the persecuted church. We've done it because we believe that we need it and because we have material resources that many of them don't, we need to share to help strengthen them. But it's not, not a one-off thing. In a moment, I'm going to ask Zeke up and he's going to talk about how you personally can partner with the persecuted church. We partner with compassion, uh, reaching uh, out into, into areas of, of poverty, helping children in the name of Jesus be released from poverty. We do that because we believe it's Jesus' heart to do that. And we partner with those who help the persecuted church because we believe it's the Lord Jesus' heart that we do that. And I know part of me goes, like some pastors say, oh no, don't, don't have another partnership like this because it means the people actually give less to the mission and the work of their local church because they're giving it all somewhere else. And, and I'd say that the Lord honors those who honor him. And that we as a church want to be a church that looks outward and that gives financially and practically beyond our own needs, knowing that God will provide for us richly as he always has done. So let me encourage you, um, when Zeke shares, there are ways of practically partnering with the persecuted church. Think prayerfully about if that is you. If, this is, if, if you have some kind of ability to make a practical material difference, we're going to pray tomorrow night. For the church, that's hugely important. But prayer and action always go together. And so as we do this, I'm going to pray. I'm going to invite Zeke up, and he's going to share about the practical things of that. And then he's going to lead us into communion and help us to get a sense of what it might be like for if we were a persecuted church here right now to gather around this meal of communion. But let's pray that, that God gives us ears to hear and hearts that actually respond, not just in a moment of emotion, but in practical faith, outworked in acts. All right, let's pray for that together now. Father, we come to you today and we thank you for your provision. We thank you that, that in the midst of persecution, your church has not fallen back. Your church continues to storm the gates of hell. And the gates of hell won't prevail against it, Jesus said. We thank you that across two millennia, your church has grown and thrived. We thank you that persecution has not stopped it, that many times it was said that the church had gone to the dogs and each time the church 
survived and it was the dogs who died. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this truth. And we pray that, that as a church, sitting on a hill Geelong, we would not be just a church that speaks words, but we'd, we would live it out. We thank you for open doors in their ministry. And we pray that as Zeke shares with us now practically, that our hearts would be softened and that we would respond as you want us to. And we pray these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.